Today's gospel text serves as the conclusion, actually, really, of our prior paragraph. Um, I knew we couldn't get to it last week because we had some pretty heavy subject matters to address. Uh, Just covering the singular verse of that is known as the unpardonable sin is a sermon unto itself, much less all the context that we walked through it last week. So... But needless to say, that context looms large over our text this morning. But there's also some profound and practical wisdom that takes place in this short paragraph. It would be no exaggeration to say that this short paragraph has changed my marriage, it's changed my ministry, it's changed the way I view psychology, it's changed so many things in my own personal life. It had a great impact on me. So I pray that there is something in here for you as well this morning. So let's jump right into it. Verse 33, either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for a tree is known by its fruit. What's Jesus talking about here? Oh, the Pharisees were wicked internally, but they put on a facade of holiness. They were pretending to be something that they were not. The very definition of what a hypocrite is, by the way. We use that word so often, I think we forget what it means. It's someone pretending to be something there they really aren't in their hearts. And whatever they, they actually are, Their fruit will reveal who they are. In other words, the pattern of a person's words and actions will reveal what the heart actually is. Jesus points out that good fruit doesn't come from bad trees. Nobody goes to an apple tree and expects to find a banana. So why would holy things come from a wicked person? Or why would wicked things come from a good person? With that in mind, Jesus has been healing and restoring people all over Israel. At the, at the start of this chapter, he was casting out an, a demon. So it's time to stop pretending that Jesus' ministry is a mixed batch of fruit with good fruit and bad fruit. It's been nothing but good coming from him and his ministry. The fruit of it has been holiness. It's been restoration. It's goodness. All good things. It ought to have been easy to determine. It ought to have been obvious that Jesus was from God. Not from Satan as he was accused of last week. But likewise, if you examine the Pharisees, their words revealed the condition of their hearts. We saw that in verse 34, where he said, You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. First of all, does all this imagery about a tree and fruit and a serpent recall anything? Does that sound familiar to anybody here? Another story, perhaps in the Bible, maybe Genesis chapter 3? So look, I can't prove uh, with 100% certainty that this was intentional. But it sure is ironic that the Pharisees accused Jesus of being from Satan. 
when in reality, they were the true offspring of that serpent in the garden. They were being led by their father, the devil. That's what Jesus is saying here, mincing no words as he's going about it. Their words have revealed who they are when they called the Son of God uh, of Beelzebub, of the Lord of the Flies, of all of that that we covered before. And they did that because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Now that is a profound verse that challenges so much of our understanding. But what does it mean? <laughs> well, if I use this example to explain this illustration, one of my very first times I stood behind this pulpit, so I hope you don't mind a repeat. But if I were to take the cap off of this water bottle, I'm not going to do it now for the sake of an illustration, and I just happen to hold it just so and hit it from the bottom like that, what would happen other than me being fired? <laughs> Yes, water would come out. Thank you, Laurie. Brilliant deduction. Why, though? Why did water come out? Somebody put water in there. I know it's easy to blame the crazy pastor for why that happened. It's easy to blame the bump. But the reason why that happened is because some person in a factory somewhere to... Decided to put water in here. And it's making a crazy profit out of something that's free, but that's another story. That's, that's why that happened. But if there is no water in there, I could take the cap off. Is anybody bothered by that? Other than perhaps the annoying sound? <laughs> no. What the, the air that I'm pushing out isn't bothering anybody. There, I can do this all day and have no negative side effects, no negative repercussions of doing it that way. So here's the point. People always want to blame the bump for the mess in our life. People want to blame uh, the things on the outside, the things that happen to the outside rather than examining what put that on the inside in the first place, that we gave an opportunity to come out. This becomes applicable when we consider that those bumps are like the stressors in our life. Those things that poke at us, those things that surprise us, the things that, those situations in life that prompt a response out of us, positive or negative, what spills out of us is what really matters. It's not what we go through in life. Let me explain from a different angle. You know, whenever I counsel someone, marriage counseling or otherwise, the majority of what I do is to tempt people to stop blaming whatever bumped them and focus on what's inside of the heart. It's amazing to me how many people think that they have marriage problems over the dishes being done. Oh, I forgot to do the dishes one night and she lets me have it the next morning. What kind of psycho yells at someone over dishes? Eh, don't pretend you haven't heard something like that. Look, those dishes were only the bump. Something that revealed the inside of that wife's heart. 
in that particular case. And it's easy for people to just focus on the bump, the thing that stressed you out, the thing that caused you some anxiety in this life, and the focus on that, rather than really address the deeper issues that's going on in that case. It would be easy for me to sit down with this married couple, hypothetically, and you know, for me to tell the guy, look, man, obviously the dishes mean a lot to your, wa- to your wife. You really got to prioritize them. Make a plan. Set a reminder on your phone. Be more structured with your lifestyle. But that only pushes back their problem, doesn't it? They're going to get bumped and provoked somewhere else. I might save them another fight about the dishes, but I'm going to cause another fight over laundry next week. That's how this works, because the problem isn't the dishes. It's the heart. It's their relationship. Something is off. And the key to solving their problem, the key to understanding what's going on isn't even in the husband. It's what's going on in the wife's heart in this example. If her heart was filled with love, forgiveness, grace, and patience, there wouldn't have been an argument in the first place. It would have been just a gentle reminder, hey, can you remember to do that again next time? Could you take care of that when you come home from work? That's what it would have sounded like. But rather, we have to do the hard work. And if if I were to sit down with these people, why is it that that's what came out instead? All this grace, love, and forgiveness, I assume, used to be there. Where did this resentment and bitterness come from? Because it was out of a heart filled with those things, of perhaps bitterness, resentment, frustration, that those words spilled out. That's what's going on here. So let's, in our minds, turn back to Jesus' example of the tree and the fruit, because there's another lesson in here now that we have that framework to work with. Because when you put, when you plant an apple seed, You don't expect apples the next day, do you? A process has to happen. It starts to grow. The roots start to go down deep. They get larger. The trunk goes wider and taller. Branches come out. And then you have apples. But there was this whole process that took place before the apples showed up. Only a fool goes into his backyard, looks at a tree that's been growing for a year, and says, oh, hey, Where'd those apples come from? No, that is the logical end result of a process that began the day you put that seed in the ground. We shouldn't be surprised by the end result when there's been a process that's been taking place. And I say that because why are we, if we're not surprised by that, if we're not surprised by apples producing, being the end result of an apple tree being planted, Why are we so surprised by some of the results of the things that we do? Guys, look, affairs, for instance, don't just happen. They begin with the decision to become lax on purity. And then it grows. It then leads to pornography. It then leads to other things. And if you don't stop it, it leads logically to an affair. Unless you stop it. And we find ourselves surprised that we're arguing about the dishes, but... That bitterness began with someone feeling unloved, uncared for, or disrespected. That's where it begins. And then it grows. Think about the weeds in your driveway, perhaps. I know I'm not the only one with that problem. 
They don't grow where the pavement is solid, is there? You don't have that problem when the rock is hard. But they, they find a small crack. And then they weasel in and then they find soil underneath that small crack. And then they start to grow. And then they start uprooting the rest of your driveway. Creating all kinds of problems for you. That's what happens there. The solution, by the way, isn't just to rip out that one weed one time. You gotta fix the crack. Otherwise, you'll have that problem next spring too. And so on and so forth. Until you fix the crack, you're going to find yourself in this repeated trap of having that issue. And it's the same thing in our hearts. In the same way, when anger, resentment, and impurity find their way into our hearts, we uproot that problem. Yes, we stop it there. But we have to fix what allowed that into our hearts in the first place. We have to address that bitterness with a loved one. Find out what led to that resentment. Where did you feel disrespected? Why do I feel unloved? What provoked me to speak that way? What prompted me to act that way? What's wrong with my heart that allowed this? And take it to the one who can take care of my heart. Allow the grace, love, and forgiveness of Jesus Christ rather to reign in our hearts. Rather than these fruits of resentment, let us bear the fruits of the Spirit that Paul wrote about in Galatians 5.22. That's the way to address this. Because coming back to our text, you know, the reason the Pharisees could speak such evil against Jesus is because of the wickedness and evil and resentment in their own hearts. That's how they could look the Son of God in the face, call him a minister of Beelzebub. That's the only way that can happen. The reason why, you know, the same reason juice is never going to come from this bottle. (laughs) In that same way, forgiveness and love will never come from these Pharisees. Because forgiveness and love isn't in their hearts. Not by a long shot. And this this makes sense of our first reading in the book of James chapter 3, where in in Genesis... James 1 also, where it says, If anyone thinks himself to be religious and does not bridle his tongue but, but deceives his own heart, this man's religion is worthless. No one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of a deadly poison. So what are we to make of those scriptures from James in light of our text in Matthew 12? They reconcile beautifully, actually, because... You cannot tame the tongue because the tongue only reveals what's in the heart. And when we, it has no free agency of its own. It only reveals what's in the heart. Now, my, uh, my grandfather was a, uh, was a systems engineer at a software company. And he, he would always annoy me with what he would say about computers. Because you guys know, you know, What's, what's the old adage, you know, to err is humor, but to really mess something up, you need a computer. But here's the thing. I wanted to blame that computer for so many things, you know, especially when computers were just starting to get introduced into the homes. And I, we had so much frustration with those silly objects. But he would point out, look, a computer will only do what a person programs it to do. You can't blame the box. Somebody put something in that box. 
And man, that frustrated me as a kid. But he was right. In the same way, we want to blame our tongues. We want as if it's some foreign object that can think on its own. What comes out of the mouth started here. We can't blame the tongue. It started in our hearts. And if we don't like what comes out of our tongue, there's something else that needs that surgery. Because after all, what's in the human heart? Jeremiah 17.9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? And regretfully, it's out of the abundance of that heart that our mouth speaks. And by the way, this is at radical odds with modern psychology and sociology. Now, those, their modern theories, their goal is follow your heart, be the real you, self-actualize, do, do have the end result of you being yourself. That's what you need to be. And now that we understand what's in the human heart from that verse in Jeremiah, do we now understand why this world is so messed up? We have everyone all over the world just bringing out every dictate of this wicked heart. It's no wonder we have so many problems these days. The goal of Christian counseling, on the other hand, the goal of the sanctification process that we're all undergoing as Christians, is rather what is written in Ezekiel chapter 36, where God speaking says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. Our desire isn't to be the be you, just be you. It's to be the new creation God has called you to be. In 2 Corinthians 5.17. <laughs> That's a fundamental difference. And it's like, be who you are, be you. Versus, and follow your heart. Versus Jesus saying, no, no, repent of who you are. Become who God has called you to be. Which, by the way, isn't a different you. God isn't calling you to change, you know, your entire personality structure and you lose your identity. He's saying, no, I want you to be who I've called you to be. I want you to be the best you, the sanctified you, the you free of sin. Is what we're going towards. Slowly and surely every day. And look... We as Christians have to live with this duality in our hearts between our sinful nature, which still clings to us, and this new nature, this heavenly nature that we also have, this new creation he's made us to be. But over time, the Holy Spirit will continue to change our hearts, making us more Christ-like. Yet, our not-yet-believing friends and, unfortunately, the Pharisees They can fake being good for a time, but the truth will eventually come out. I mean, even Satan masquerades as an angel of light, the word says. But because he only has come to steal, kill, and destroy, he can only hide it for so long. But at the same way, even us as Christians, even mature Christians, you know, we will stumble in our speech from time to time. We'll stumble in our actions and not live the way we proclaim from time to time. But the overall fruit of our life will be trending in the right direction. Almost like one of those line graphs that goes up and down, but it's moving in the right direction, going up over time. That's what our life is supposed to be like. 
So don't get me wrong, this is not your typical motivational speech, if you will. That's not my desire at all. I'm not saying change your habits, change your speech, change your actions. No, I'm saying let the gospel change your hearts this morning. Let, and only then can we expect to see other, these deeper things change inside of us. When we burst in anger, I'm not saying try harder to hold your tongue. I'm saying repent of the sin of anger and ask Jesus to replace that anger that we found burst out of our hearts through our tongue and ask Jesus to replace that with love in our hearts. Regarding purity, we can't just blame bodily urges or whatever, but repent for our lack of self-control or discontentment and ask for the fruit of the Spirit of Christ to supply whatever it is that is lacking. The bad news of this message, guys, is that our problems are a lot deeper than they first appear because we want to solve surface-level issues. Oh, I just got to fix my tongue. The problem's actually a lot deeper than that. But the good news is that Jesus Christ offers the solution to those deep things of the heart. We're not just told that our hearts are sick, but we're told Jesus offers us a new heart, a new spirit to make us a new creation. And that is the solution. And it's found in the gospel by repenting of our sins and believing in what he has done for us and allow him to change these deep things inside of us. Because no amount of pop psychology can change the heart, but the gospel can. That is great news. That is wonderful news. That gives each of us hope this morning. And I'm not saying that there's no good that can come from these other areas. There's a place for for people in those mental health fields. I'm not saying I have it right and I have all the answers. But the gospel has to be the foundation of the beginning of these things. It must be. So with all that being said, let us quickly finish our scripture this morning before I run out of time. In verse 36, where it says, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words, you will be justified. And by your words, you will be condemned. Your speech will justify you Not because saying good words justifies you. It's not about what you speak, but it reveals the new heart Jesus has given you. That's what's being highlighted here. (laughs) Just as you are not saved by good works, but you are saved for good works, according to Ephesians 2.10, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And people notice it when your speech begins to change. Like I said, you can't just tame the tongue. So when your tongue begins to change, people will notice. When you go from the person speaking in lewdness to someone sharing the gospel with a friend or a family member or a coworker, people are definitely going to notice that. 
When you go from having regular outbursts of anger to the one who is spending time praying and uh, with your children or your grandchildren or people you know going through trials and difficulties, people will notice. They'll know that God is changing you from the inside. <laughs> and speaking of your speech, your coworkers will definitely notice if you used to be the guy who was cursing up a storm. Complaining about this, that, and the other thing in the break room. <laughs> oh, you'll be noted for that. But it's a process. <laughs> we become more like Jesus every day the longer we walk with him. And we're not going to do it perfectly. I can't say I do it perfectly. I can't expect that of anybody here in this room, so don't hear that. But people will notice that you are trending in the right direction. That you used to be this way. Now you're this way. What changed? <laughs> and then we can have a glorious answer when we get to introduce them to the person who changed us. <laughs> Note that on Judgment Day, it, sa it says here that it will not only be words of blasphemy that we will be given account for, which is what began this chapter, the Pharisees' words of blasphemy, but every careless word we speak. These refer to every flippant, irresponsible, inappropriate, or hypocritical word that we speak. <laughs> Believers and unbelievers will one day stand before God and give account of our lives. And accountable for the, all of these words. And again, not because it's just our words, but what that reflects about our heart. Because every careless, hypocritical, inappropriate word reflects something wrong with our hearts. And I don't have time to expound upon this, but 1 Corinthians 3, you might want to make note of it, details the things that we have done that were not built on the foundation of the gospel will be rendered useless. So rather, that's not what I want to do. I want to present my life as one that was built upon the foundation of what Christ has done for me. And let that be what the rest of my life is categorized by. To quote uh, C.T. Studd, he said, Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. And as we draw to a close this morning, I, I want to ask a question of you guys. And let's, let's be honest as we do this mental exercise. If I were to have a transcript of everything you said in the last 24 hours, what would I conclude about you? What would be revealed about your heart? What will be revealed in what you value? What will be revealed in what you prioritize and what you speak to other and in, in, in what you try to pass on to your loved ones? What you said to your boss. What you said under your breath after you spoke to your boss. What would that conclude about what is in your heart? That is the question we're getting at this morning. What does that say about you? Do, is that what you want to be true of you? Whatever's coming to mind, you know, take that heart that spoke those words through your tongue and bring that to your Savior this morning because it's out of the abundance of the heart that we speak. It's our heart that produced that transcript, not our tongue.
And know, and as we take it to Christ, as we repent of what we need to repent of, as we refine what we need to refine, know that he has promised, as we have said already, that he will pardon, he will cleanse, he will renew, and he will continue his sanctifying work on our lives until we see him face to face. And then by his grace, we still have that opportunity to hear those wonderful words. Despite all the inappropriate things we might have said, all of the harsh things we might have uttered, how, what a beautiful work of grace it is that we can still hear those words. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thanks be to God for his grace. Amen.